Hi, everybody. It's episode three of the Bad Dad Club. Hooray! I can't believe that we've actually like consistently stuck with this for three whole episodes. I kind of figured it would be like the first episode and then it'd be like, well, that's it. That's my podcasting career. <laughs> that was fun, but it was too much work. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into the actual episode, we want to take a small moment to thank Jess Noonan for making our banger new logo. Yeah, it's amazing. It's super adorable. So if you are into great comics that are super relatable and funny and also kind of sad and just fun overall, please visit Jess Noonan's Tumblr. It's itsweirdsister.tumblr.com. She posts comics every week. Yeah. You're gonna love them. They're great. Yeah, so episode three, Bad Dad Club. We are talking about Jack Torrance from The Shining, specifically in the movie. Yes. So there is going to be a part two to Jack Torrance where we talk about the book. But hey, Jess and I are lazy bitches and didn't read the book in time. We can't find it. Rob said he had it. I don't know where it is. I have a copy of it somewhere. Where? I don't know if it's a Baba's Garage oh, or well, if that's it's here. If it's in Baba's Garage, it's useless to me. Well, yeah, that's like four provinces in a time zone away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we are going to talk about Jack Torrance before we actually talk about him being a bad dad. Here is some info about The Shining. So The Shining came out in 1980. It's directed and produced by Stanley Kubrick. It stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, and Scatman Crothers. If you have not seen The Shining, really and truly, I suggest you do. This is one of those movies that not only is it like good on its own, but it's referenced so many times in pop culture that it's like a meme before memes were a thing. Yeah. It's like if you haven't seen the Star Wars movies and you go watch them now after consuming any media, you're like, oh, I've seen all of this. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's The Shining. So Jack Torrance, uh, his wife Wendy and their son Danny have agreed to live in the Overlook Hotel for the winter as caretakers. Jack slowly loses grip on reality and tries to kill his family. That's like the bulk of this movie. Yeah, that's the TLDR of this movie. That's what happens. Whether it's because of isolation or because of the ghosts or the Native American burial grounds, like it's kind of hard to say what what causes what causes it. Jack to lose reality. Which is also kind of neat because it lets you interpret this movie in so many different ways. And each way feels equally valid. Yeah, there's like a million theories. Yeah. You can lose a you can lose a week reading friggin' The Shining theories. Yeah. I have done it. I oh. didn't do it this week though. No, there's like I have a job. There's documentaries, like several documentaries made about different theories for this movie. Yeah, it's real cool. Which I think is like really speaks to how the story is told. But the original person who told this story is actually Stephen King. Uh, Stephen King hates this adaptation of the book. It is very different from the book. Having not read the book, I know it's very different from the book. Yeah, it is super different. Certain themes are not present. Uh, characters are changed drastically uh, to fit a sort of different motif, I guess. Like, it, it sets up a very different atmosphere than the book does. Almost to the point where you can you can look at these two and go, yeah, these are two completely different stories. Yeah. But there's enough in common that obviously it's still an adaptation. 
My man Stanley Kubrick did not give two shits as to whether or not Stephen King liked his movie. didn't give two shits about anybody else's opinion ever in his entire career, I'm pretty sure. No, no. And that's why he did such good work. Yeah, possibly. Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. But no, my man Stan basically was just like, fuck it, if you don't like this, that's fine. But like, this movie stands alone like it it can hold its own weight it doesn't need like an adaption or an adaptation uh of stephen king's the shining to sell the movie yeah it kind of just it it took off and i would argue that i think more people know what happens in the movie than what happens in the book yeah how many people do you actually know who have read the shining versus have watched the shining I would say most of the people that I know have seen it, and then I would say maybe 10% of those people have read the book. Although, on the other hand, two out of three people in this house have read the book. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, weird. That's <laughs> a skewed, that is a skewed uh, statistic. But I, like, I really like Stephen King as a writer. Because I live with nerds. You do live with nerds. And I think it's one of those books that if you've seen the movie and you really liked the movie... You'd pick it up and be like, yeah, I might as well read the book that it's based off of. And when I read it, I was like, oh, this is not the movie. <laughs> like, Oh, she's different. <laughs> this is real different. Um, and we'll talk probably more about the differences uh, in the next episode. After because we've both read the book. Yeah, because it's, be, it's going to be more important in that episode. Anyway, so yeah, Jack Torrance is played by Jack Nicholson. I want to preface this by saying no matter... What Jack Nicholson does, I am unsettled. Yeah, he... I can't think of anybody more terrifying than Jack Nicholson. So let's let's do some commandments. That's what the whole show That's was about. That's the show. Uh, so number one, don't kill your kids. He doesn't, but he does try. He tries real damn That's- hard. He really wants to kill his kid. That's like, a, that's like half an hour of this two and a half hour movie. Yeah. Uh, is him chasing Danny through this hotel... With an axe. Yelling Danny and trying to kill him. Yeah. It's great. So, uh... If not it, if you're Danny, I guess. It's not great no, if you're Danny. No, it's not great if you're Danny. <laughs> but in terms of whether or not, like, he breaks this commandment, he was gonna kill him. If he, he had caught Danny, he Danny would be dead. Absolutely. No question. There's no... I don't think there's any interpretation for, for any other outcome. No, it's not just, like, a fun prank he's playing. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> not chasing his kid around, like, uh... Just, you know, for shits and gigs. Like, there is some motivation yeah. here. Uh, so I'm going to say that's already strike one. Yeah. Good work. It's the first time somebody's, uh, is it? Yeah. Okay, commandment number two. Don't physically, emotionally, psychologically, or sexually abuse your kids. This is where theories jump in. And I do want to address the sexual assault theory? or sexual abuse theory. Um, there are theorists and film critics that believe that... The whole story of The Shining is actually uh, an interpretation of a cycle of sexual abuse that started with Jack's father sexually abusing him, and then Jack subsequently sexually abusing Danny. Really and truly, uh, if you're watching the movie just as a movie, you're not going to see that. No, there's no, like, uh, there's, the theories come from, like, all kinds of weird symbolism and stuff, which, like, Stanley Kubrick is famous for, his thing. It's his masterpiece. Yeah. But it's not like explicitly stated or even like really heavily hinted at, I would say. No. And honestly, it does add like an extra level to the movie. If you watch it with that in mind, you're going to go, oh, it's 
obvious. Yeah, if you watch it with that in mind, like, there's some things that were innocuous the first time, and the second time you're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, no. But, granted, we, I, I think we should try and stick mostly with the source material. Yeah, like, straight from the movie. For, for his bad dadness. Yeah. So. Um, so, no, he doesn't sexually abuse Danny, but there is some physical and emotional abuse. Yes. So, uh, Jack is an alcoholic, um, which we'll address further down the list. But one night, uh, it's, it's brought up a few times in the film. One night, Jack comes home drunk and finds that Danny has totaled his office. Like, there's papers everywhere, and it's implied that, like, Danny just kind of ransacked it. Like a, like a child. Like a child. And Jack grabs Danny by the arm to turn him around to, to discipline him. And because he's drunk and he's not paying attention to his own strength, he pulls Danny's arm in a weird way and it dislocates his shoulder. Yeah. Uh, the injury is bad enough that Wendy and Jack take, uh, take Danny out of nursery school and he hasn't been back since. And that is also the night that Jack decides that he is not going to drink anymore, that he is going to be sober. Yeah. I think it's really important to talk about the language that they use, mm. when, that Wendy and Jack both use when they talk about the incident of Jack dislocating Danny's shoulder, because they talk about how, like, oh, it was an accident, and, like, oh, you you know, you grab your kid like that, uh, like, a hundred times in his life, like, without thinking, like, to, you know, pull him off the street or whatever, and they're like, it could have happened to anybody, and it's mm -hmm. like, eh, it's kind of, like, excusing some abuse, like, trying to, like, downplay it a lot. Yeah, so near the beginning of the movie, uh, Wendy calls a doctor in to check on Danny. When Wendy is describing the incident the dislocation incident she calls the doctor not for the dislocation incident that happens like a couple of years before we get to the movie right um it's a different incident jack just has or danny just has like an episode yeah uh so when when the doctor asks about previous trauma or anything that happened that would be out of the ordinary for Danny, uh, it comes up that this incident with the dislocation happened and wendy's vocabulary about it is very demure like it's very reserved this has been rehearsed i feel yeah she's definitely downplayed this to a lot of people probably the doctors first like the first time would have been the doctors when it happened yeah so she says like jess said like oh this was an accident it, it happens like, it, it could have happened to anybody and all that. The doctor does not look convinced. Yeah, she doesn't really say anything about it, but the look on her face is like, oh. Yeah, and this is shortly after she finds out that the three of them are going to be moving to, like, this isolated location. I'm confused as to why this doctor didn't do anything. Because it's the 80s and no one cares about kids. Also, I think we should talk about Tony. Because in, like... We gotta, abuse, we gotta talk about Tony. We gotta talk about Tony. Keep saying this. In, like, an abuse situation, him having, like, a kid that showed... Or, like, a, an imaginary friend that showed up right after he was injured like that. I yeah. feel like it's indicative of some things. I'm not a psychologist. I have no idea what it would be indicative of. But it's, like, it's kind of suspicious, right? Sure. And, like, from a, from a literary... Like, a media literacy point of view, this is also really interesting. Because Tony, who Danny describes as the little boy that lives in his mouth... Uh, that shows him the images of, of what's going to happen at the Overlook Hotel, um, shows up after 
this moment of abuse, which is kind of interesting if you look into the sexual abuse theory. Yeah. Because it implies that those who shine can only do so or, or are more likely to do so after experiencing trauma. Maybe. Because, I mean, I mean, you don't know anything about Dick who can also shine. And his, like, he and his grandmother his used grandmother. to shine at each other all the time. You don't know that there was any trauma there, but... I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that as black Americans... Oh, he was raised black in, like, I don't know, like, the 40s, maybe? The, and like his grandmother would have probably been turn of the century, if yeah. not... So they've got some trauma. Yeah, for so sure. I would definitely yeah. think that there's some some weight to that theory, which, you know, again... It's a theory. It's a theory. We can't really say one way or another. Stanley Kubrick's not going to say one way or another. So that's all we got left there. So Tony is, again, up for interpretation. Whether Tony is Danny's manifestation of the shine, uh, whether Tony is just an imaginary friend that Danny uses to kind of cope with the fact that he can shine. Rationalize it. Yeah. It's not me. It's the boy who lives in my mouth. Obviously. Yeah. Or if Tony is like this otherworldly thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that really, to me, feels like it's kind of a defense mechanism is um, much later in the movie, like right before Jack starts trying to kill everybody after um, after Danny goes into room 237 um, and he stops talking as Danny entirely and just Tony comes out and mm. it's like, Danny's not here anymore. That seems like a defense mechanism to me. Yeah. From abuse or whatever he's startled him yeah i i would agree with that but i can also see how danny going into room 237 and experiencing whatever whatever he experiences because we do not see that would allow for like something else to fully possess danny that's true also danny is a five-year-old boy he's just small so it could be anything yeah really Really, it's hard like i don't have a psych degree if i were to do this for like a a text analysis i would probably say that both of those things are equally valid anyways to to really like sum it up there is physical abuse there is emotional abuse in that uh jack is very threatening towards danny uh especially near closer to the end of the movie yeah the thing about jack is he's not i mean again he's jack nicholson so he's terrifying um, he's not openly threatening Danny, but he's very, like, hostile. Yeah. You know, there's a point, um, in the movie where Danny wants to go back to, like, their, they've got a little apartment suite area in the hotel, and he wants to go back to get, like, his fire engine or whatever, some toy. And Jack is sleeping at the time. And so Wendy is like, no, you can't go. You'll wake up your dad. And it's, like, a whole thing. Like, you have to be as silent as possible because who knows what Jack's gonna do if you wake him up. Yeah, it's it's really telling of Jack's relationship to the two other people in the family. And it's not, it's not like this incident is, like, an isolated one. Because I feel like that's sort of the tone Wendy has towards Jack is you don't really know which Jack you're gonna get. Yeah. And you always have to be tiptoeing around him. Yeah. He does, like, explode at her, which ties into the next one. Yeah. Um, no, it doesn't. Sorry. No. Uh, don't harm or kill others. Oh, we're just... Okay. We're going on to the next one. Yeah, we're going to do the next one. Because I feel like the abusing your spouse and There's... abusing Danny works very intertwined. Yeah. Uh, don't harm or kill others. He does. He does. Straight up. 
He kills Dick Halloran, which is, you know, a choice considering Dick is the only fully realized black character in the whole movie. Yeah, there's, I think, one other black character and he's just, like, a mechanic that's on the phone one time. Yeah, <laughs> like, so... he's not important to the story, really. No. Um, so it, it it is one of those things that not only does he do it, but it's also kind of, like, from a from a analysis point of view, I'm just like, oh... Gross. Gross. A little later on, when the very famous bathroom scene happens, uh, where Jack is talking to Grady, and they just very casually use the N-word. Three times. In, like, 30 seconds. Not even. It's like a 20-second exchange in total. And then Dick is the one that dies. Mm. Uh, It just, it seems... Well, they use use the N-word in reference to him. Yeah. It just seems hateful yeah so yeah he does kill another person and i would say that this one is not only like it's not only just planned out but it it feels really hateful uh okay so don't abuse your spouse he does he sure does uh where do we want to start do we want to start with the psychological abuse do we want to start with the fact that he tries to murder her well he does try to murder her that one's an easy that's cut and dry yeah that is not okay no uh, and it's not even just that he tries to murder her the one time. He tries, like, a couple. He, he, he plans this one out. He tries to kill her on the staircase, and then she knocks him out, and... Well, I, you don't know for sure that he tries to kill her, but he is approaching her, and she's backing away and asking to be left alone and swinging a bat at him. <laughs> Because she wants to be... Well, like, yeah. like not, not swinging a bat to hit him, but just, like, to keep him back. Yeah, but she, he says to her, I just want to bash your fucking brains in. He does. In. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your fucking brains in. Um, but yeah, so he he threatens her on the staircase. He's always threatening with her. Like, there's a scene at the very... Not at the very beginning of the movie. It's right after they get to the hotel. Um, it's, like, the, the, the first day they're there. Mm-hmm. She brings him breakfast in bed. And he's... I mean, I think it's... I feel like it's supposed to show him being, like, a nice guy. But I, we were watching this scene and I was just thinking, is he being condescending on purpose? Because he's so condescending to her and she's just like brought him some eggs and some orange juice or whatever. I do have a quotation about the condescending underlying thing. So right when they are driving to the hotel, uh, they're talking about like all sorts of weird shit and Danny brings up cannibalism? No. Um Wendy I think does. She asks if this is where the Donner party happened. Right. And, and Jack's like no, that was farther west or whatever. Yeah, and so Danny picks up that they're talking about cannibalism and Wendy asks where he learned about it and Danny says, "Oh, I learned about it on TV." And Jack's quote is it's all see it's all right he saw it on the television and the look that jack nicholson makes he's driving the car so he's got to like kind of pay attention as to what he's doing but he like gives wendy this side eye and like this fucking little smirk that's just like it's your job to make sure that our kid doesn't see this kind of shit yeah. And you're fucking it up. Yeah. Like, he learned it on the television. Where the fuck were you, Wendy? Yeah. I don't know, Jack. Where the fuck were you? He's your kid, too. Um, so there's a lot of that throughout the whole movie. Like, yeah. even when he is trying to murder her, he is being condescending. Yeah. Uh, which, like, really drives it home for me. 
just how shitty he is yeah, to her. He's so awful. I felt have I don't think I've ever watched The Shining. I've only seen it for like a movie that's like my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies. I've only seen it like maybe five times. Mm. I don't think I've ever watched it like specifically in the context of seeing exactly how terrible Jack is. Because mm-hmm. like I mean, it's like he tries to kill his family. Obviously, he's bad. Right. Scene like that's enough thinking about it. This time that we watched it, I really, really felt for Wendy. Watching Shelley Duvall survive her husband in this case, like watching Wendy survive Jack was so satisfying this time. Yeah. And I think it was because like we were watching it specifically for this episode. Yeah. With with the mindset of like, I was going into this movie being like, well, yeah, Jack Torrance is a bad dude, obviously. But then like when we put him up to like our criteria... Like, it really just kind of shows you how bad he is. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's obvious he's bad because, once again, he hits the first fucking commandment. Yeah. He tries to kill his kids, and you're like, well, clearly, a bad guy. But then there's so many other things that, like, once you sort of, like, list it all out, and you're like, oh, oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. And, like, some of the quotes, like, some of the quotes that I quote, like, on a daily basis, because I'm a psychopath, um, really are really frightening. Um, you do like to quote fictional psychopaths. It is a thing I do. Look, I wear a face mask. I got to quote G- uh, Patrick Bateman. I was going to say Jason Bateman. Topical. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have like a bunch of notes here about the abuse. And the one thing I want to talk about is uh, the halfway through, about halfway through the movie, Jack and Danny are sitting in Jack's room. This is after the, the whole don't make a noise when you go get your fire engine thing. Yeah. So they're sitting there and Danny didn't didn't wake Jack up. Danny walks in and Jack is just sitting on the bed staring, which we've all been there. Yeah. That's what you do after you get out of a shower. You just sit on your bed in your towel and just stare at the wall. Yeah. Totally, for like as long as you possibly can. Totally normal. So I'm always almost late for work. Uh, Danny asks, dad, do you feel bad? And Jack says, no, I'm just tired. And Danny asks him, then why don't you sleep? And they have like this very tense exchange like jack nicholson is like brushing danny's hair from his face and like it's just he's like resting his head his cheek against danny's head it's, but it's like too intimate considering the relationship that they've established throughout this movie considering i don't know if you even see him touch danny before this i don't think so because like you see shelly duvall holding danny's hand yeah like wendy holds his hand in the in the very first few scenes and like yeah it's anyway the line that really kind of hits it home for me I think me, this is the first time they're alone <clears throat> together too yeah the line that hits it home for me to just highlight all of the abuse that Jack has facilitated throughout the movie is you'd never hurt mommy and me would you? Actually what really stuck out to me about that was Jack's response which is did your mom say that? Yeah. He immediately goes, goes to blame Wendy. Yeah. Which is then the real, the, the fuel for the big confrontation on the staircase. Yeah, exactly. She finds the, the all work and no play manuscript. But really, Jack's not mad that he, she found the manuscript. Jack is furious because she has implied that Jack hurt Danny again. And no, he thinks she keeps interfering. Like, there's, there's a time she comes in to, he's, he's set up his, like, office in, like, the main fucking lobby of the hotel. That's what I did. Yeah, <laughs> True. But you're not freaking out whenever anybody walks past. No. Where she comes in one time and he's like typing away or whatever. And she, you know, 
wants to check in. She hasn't seen him all day. She's like, how's it going? You know, how's the writing going? And he's so short and curt with her. Well, he, he says something like he presses like the typewriter really hard and makes like it makes like this horrible clicking, echoing noise. And then he's like, when you hear me doing that, you just leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. Yeah. He's she's like, OK, well, I'll go and let you type some more, like write some more and I'll bring you a couple sandwiches in a little while. And he's like, if you hear me making this noise or if you hear any noise at all, or whatever the fuck I'm doing, don't fucking come in here. And it's like, whoa, chill out, buddy. She's yeah. just trying to keep you alive. Yeah. And there's, there's, She's there are people. She's fucking wife. There are people who have interpreted this as like, whatever, the spirits or the shine or whatever the fuck is happening at the hotel, cabin fever setting in. This but is like day two. This is, this is super early on and I'm, I'm not buying that theory at all. I think this is more telling of Jack's actual personality than the, the Jack that we see at the interview for this position. Yeah. Cause he's very like quiet and reserved and like, and he's, he's always cracking like on, weird jokes because it's Jack Nicholson. It's terror. Cause yeah. it's accompanied by the eyebrows. Yeah. True. Um, but yeah. When it comes to don't abuse your spouse and don't abuse your kid, I would say these two are so interwoven. Yeah. And he does both. I do think that probably the physical abuse, the the dislocating Danny's shoulder is one of the only instances, I think, of him physically abusing either of them. I mean, he might, but I think he's more like of a, of a, it's the demeaning and the belittling and the like hostile environment and the possibility that he could hurt them yeah. is what he uses to exert power over his family. Yeah. It's not, he's not, I don't think he's always hitting them, but he could be, but I don't think so. All right. Uh, next one. Don't commit infidelity. Uh, I, I want to read my notes verbatim here. Jack makes out with a ghost. Does that count as infidelity? She's a very pretty young woman who turns into a decaying old hag. Are we counting ghosts in this? Arguably, no, ghosts aren't people. But the ghost is a pretty young lady who gets out of a bathtub completely naked and, like, agonizingly slowly. This scene takes, like, eight hours. Yeah, it's really painful. She walks towards Jack, and he's standing there doing his, like, Jack Nicholson disassociation face, and he's like, oh, yeah, baby. He doesn't say anything. But, like, he is so, like, he immediately jumps on board when she, like, touches him and, like, goes to kiss him. He's like, hell yeah, naked chick. So, like, I think that says a lot to his mindset. Like, he would absolutely cheat on Wendy in a heartbeat. Yeah, I agree. So, I think, I think you're right. I would say that given the opportunity, Jack would definitely cheat on Wendy. Yeah. And that's entirely possible he has, but you're... Again, we're only working with what we got. Yeah. Um, but his his eagerness does definitely imply uh, that he's he's checked out completely. Yeah, he doesn't. Well, I mean, he does. He pretty much says straight up that he does not think of Wendy as a human person. Yeah, true. Uh, okay, so do not use your addiction as an excuse for bad behavior. This is Jack's whole thing. Well, I mean, he is an alcoholic. He is. Um, Wendy says at the beginning of the movie that he's five months. Sober. But also, like, the second he gets a chance to, he, uh, he has a drink. Yeah, Although so... Although it's a hallucinatory drink? I don't know. Right. So this part gets weird, which really, we should have used that as the disclaimer for this whole episode. Uh, this, this one's weird, This folks. one's weird. So there is a very, again, very famous, iconic scene. Jack Nicholson is sitting at the empty bar of the Overlook Hotel. Uh, he's laughing into his hands. 
No, he's not. He's just holding his hands over his face. And he, like, pulls his face down with his hands. And then he starts smiling. And he's like, how's it going, Lloyd? And then it pans to the other side of the bar. And there's, like, a barkeep there. And, like, a fully stocked bar. Yeah, and they state, and they show um, at the beginning of the movie that they take the alcohol away when they close the hotel for the winter because it cuts down on their insurance or whatever. And that's where Jack actually says... They say something like, we take it out for insurance. And he says, that's okay. We don't drink. Yeah. And then immediately when the the hallucination or whatever starts, the first thing he does is open a tab. Which, I mean, I'm not an alcoholic. So, like, yeah, probably when you have an addiction, right, you're thinking about it a lot. He's having a rough time. He's like, oh, fuck, I'm just going to go sit in the bar and wish I have a drink. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know necessarily that that is using his addiction as an excuse for bad behavior, but they do explicitly say when they talk about uh, Jack dislocating Danny's shoulder, oh, he was drunk, oh, he didn't know his own strength, oh, it could happen to anybody, he just had a little bit too much, and it's like, ah, that's an excuse, buddy. Like, Yeah, um, but I think really this speaks to the bigger alcohol issue, because part of me has always interpreted this scene because uh, he does drink in the scene. There is, like, he puts the alcohol in his mouth. Yes. And he swallows. I have always interpreted it as he is going to do this to help him hurt his family. Yeah. So, I mean, that one's, like, that one's kind of... It's not... Touchy because it's more, like, literary yeah. text analysis based. But... I mean, just very concretely from what we have from what is said in the film, you're right. It's used in a, as an excuse because of Danny's dislocation. Yeah. Uh, number, what number are we on? The next one. Uh, do not be bad to your parents and family. Uh, again, we don't know anything about Jack's family life. They don't even no. talk about, like, his parents in the peripheral. Like, for all we know, they could be dead. Yeah, you don't hear anything about... Aside from the backstory about Danny's shoulder, you don't know anything about their lives really before. You know that Jack was a school teacher, Jack hurt Danny's shoulder, now they're at the Overlook. That's what you know. Yeah, it's it's very simplistic. So again, this is where a lot of theories start to substitute. This is where I think a lot of stuff like the sexual abuse cycle theory you, you're able to make that kind of theory because you have the space to do so. There's nothing established concretely to uh, enforce or, or hurt your argument. Yeah. So you're able to create this theory and then use what is in the film to back it up. But whether or not there is a cycle of abuse, we can't actually no say. Whether or not there is you know, a, a family history of alcoholism. Yeah, there's nothing. Know. There's not even, like, a throwaway line where Jack's like, oh, I've hated my dad, or whatever. Like, nothing. No. So, I guess he passes this one. This is, like, the first one he's passed. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> do not lead a life of crime. Uh, so, Jack was a teacher beforehand. Then, it's not really stated why, but we can kind of discern that it might be because of the alcoholism that he leaves teaching and becomes a writer. Yeah, all Jack says in his interview is that teaching was kind of, like, a thing he did to pay the bills mm-hmm. and now he's coming to the overlook and that'll pay his bills and so now he can really concentrate on writing yeah and then with all the evidence we could gather he's like pretty much a law-abiding yeah citizen. aside from the harming his child law-abiding yeah like apart from shit that happens behind closed doors like he's not like walter white where he's like a fucking meth kingpin yeah 
Um, he's not committing genocide. He's not. For the most part, like, I think what makes him so unsettling is that he's just a normal dude. Yeah, he's just a guy. He's a teacher. He taught children, probably. Yeah, which, again, yeah, is really unsettling, but neither mm-hmm. here nor there. So, no, out of, Two out of three dads we've done so far have been teachers. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel like we're accidentally saying something about teachers. We're not. But there are shitty people who are teachers. There are. Not all teachers. But, you know. Yeah. Someone. Hashtag not Hashtag all teachers. Not all teachers. <laughs> um, and then the last one. Do not be a giant fucking liar. So I wrote, I want to read what I wrote in my notes, which is, Jack does lie throughout the movie, but a lot of it is to save face or not blow up at his family prematurely. So I would say before the climax of the film. Uh, The only time his lying is particularly sinister is when he lies about what he saw in room 237. Yeah, I feel like you get the idea that Jack's lying from like the very minute you see him, but he's in an interview. So, like, fucking have at her, Jack. You gotta Everybody get lies. Everybody gotta make lies. that money. Yeah. So. <laughs> get them coins, Jack. Yeah. So, yeah, most of his lying is, yeah, like, to to make himself seem better to his employer, which, like, I get. Um, Everybody does it. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, he does lie directly to Danny when he tells him that he would never, ever hurt him and then immediately tries to kill him. But, yeah. 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 But, again, I think that's, I think that's. I would argue that that maybe he truly still has some part of him believing that he would not hurt his family. Yeah. Because he does try, which is, I think, something that he and Walter White have in common. They try. They're not good at being dads, but they do try. Yeah. Whereas Darth Vader just doesn't fucking try at all. He doesn't even try to find his children no he doesn't even bother to know he's got two right so like god damn at least everybody else knows how many kids they've got true (laughs) um but i would say that both of them not only do they have teaching in common but they they try and that's probably because they're supposed to be rooted in regular human beings yeah they're they are people yeah and so the reason why the lie in room 237 is rather sinister uh this is some gaslighting shit This is hardcore gaslighting. So Danny gets a bruise on his neck. Uh, Wendy informs Jack there's somebody else in the hotel. Uh, And that Danny told her there's something in 237. A woman. There's a A woman in 237. uh, And that she is the one that hurt Danny. Jack immediately assumes that Wendy is... Fucking nuts. Yeah, just (laughs) completely and totally off her rocker. But he goes there and that's the whole scene with with the making out of the young woman. Uh, and he lies to Wendy because she's like, what happened? What was in there? And he says, there's nothing in that room. And she's, that's where I think like the real, like that's some sinister shit. Well, I mean, also, how would you really describe that without looking nuts? There, like there was a young woman mm-hmm. who then immediately turned into a rotting old hag who cackled at him his entire way out of the room. And she was, like, chasing him and shit. Yeah, well, like, he's, that's... like, Miss Vangieing out of the room. Yeah. And she's just kind of clamoring towards him. Yeah. That, like, I saw a ghost, basically. There's a ghost in that room, Wendy. Like, that's... I get it. Like, from a from a psychological preservation point of view, like, I, I, I get it. I get why he's lying. Because it's to justify what he saw to himself. 
Because he, he's losing his mind at this point. Also, he's not about to tell Wendy that he uh, made out with the woman. Right. turned out to be a rotting old hag. That's both infidelity and embarrassing. True. But to just... He says there's nothing there. And the, um, the implication in the way that he says it is she's losing her fucking mind. Well, like, you're... How dare you believe this small child over me, your husband, who's always right and correct and good. I think I have a quote, actually. Let me just double check. Yes, because when Jack comes back and he says there's nothing in there, and Wendy goes, well, then how do you explain what happened? Jack says, I think he did it to himself. Once you rule out his explanation, there's no other possibility. Except for the part where the as soon as Wendy finds... Danny, or Danny shows up while Wendy and Jack are together, and he's got the bruise on his neck. Immediately, Wendy assumes that Jack did it. Yeah. And obviously, Jack's not going to say, well, I mean, it wasn't a crazy lady, so I guess maybe it was me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And again, there being a crazy lady in 237 when Danny is there doesn't mean that he saw the old hag. It could be somebody totally different. This This is why the movie is hard to analyze in some ways, because... Kubrick tells us things without showing us things sometimes. Yeah. And we have to put that together. Yeah. I never thought that the woman from 237 that hurts Danny is the same one from from when Jack is there. No, I don't think it makes sense for it to be. No. Uh, But, okay, so is he a giant fucking liar? I mean, I feel like he is. I I would agree. Because he lies about a lot of things. And, like... I feel like it's more the implication of the stuff he lies about. Like, the way they downplay his abuse of Danny and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of lying. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, like, lying about being a meth lord. Yeah. I mean, really, when you look at it, the lying in Jack Torrance is much more sophisticated than it is in Walter White. Yeah. Jack Torrance has created a fucking full narrative for his whole ass family. Yeah. Whereas Walter White is lying to his family to save his own skin. Yeah. So, yeah, I would agree. Uh, so, let's do a rundown of what points he's got. So, don't kill your kids. Does that. Don't physically, emotionally, psychologically, or sexually abuse your kids. Does that. Don't harm or kill others. He does that. Don't abuse your spouse. He does that. Don't commit infidelity. He would do that. Yeah, I say I say we yeah, do it. He yeah, he does that. Uh, don't use your addiction as an excuse for your bad behavior. He does that. Don't be bad to your parents or family. Oh, he doesn't do that as far as we know. Don't lead a life of crime. Doesn't do that. And don't be a giant fucking liar. He does do that. So that is seven out of nine. That's a bad dad. That is a bad fucking dad. Yeah. Is he worse than Walter White? Yeah, Walter got six. Jack Torrance is worse than Walter White. Uh, I don't know. I I really don't know. Like, based on which commandments he breaks, yes. But there's a lot more evidence of Walter doing sure, bad things. Sure, sure, I mean, he's got a lot more time. He's got five seasons, whereas Jack's got two and a half hours. True. So I mean, he really just drills down to, like, I'm going to kill my son. Yeah. You know, yeah. he gets All to right. the point. All right. Sexy scale, one to five. Oh, God, no. One. <laughs> uh, your reasoning, please. Jack Nicholson is the most frightening person on this planet, okay. I think. There's nothing attractive about him. He's not even charming. He's just No, he thinks cruel. he's charming. 
Yeah, which is really off-putting. Yeah, but he's just not. I mean, you do get a lot of him, like, dissociating and staring out windows and, like, which giving himself as many chins as possible <laughs> Look, while he does it. that is a fucking mood. It is, but I it's not, that. it's not attractive. It's no. not a hot mood. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, evil scale, one to five. Um, this one is hard. It is hard, and I am going to bring up our favorite uh, thing of the fucking podcast, our favorite fucking overarching theme. Toxic masculinity. <laughs> We've only mentioned it twice. No, I think this is now every episode we have brought it I up. I don't think we did it in... Oh, my maybe. I think we did. I th- maybe not by name. I would argue that Jack's evilness, to me... I would put him at a 4.5 along with Walter White. And this is why. Jack Torrance is like trying to be what would be called, I guess, a man's man. He's like the manly head of the house. He is supposed to be the one that brings home the bacon. And all of those like seemingly positive stereotypes are really just unfurled in this movie. Yeah. Also, he's, he doesn't really have, like, a moral backbone. Like, he's absolutely, like, would just perpetuate it. Like, he, he, Grady uses the N-word first in his bathroom hallucination, and then Jack immediately jumps on board, and he's like, oh, oh, we're saying the N-word? Hell, hell yeah. Yeah, like, Like, he's kind of weirdly excited about it. He's not, he's not as excited as I was. He's not, like, a puppy about it, but, like, he, he's just like, okay, I'm in that kind of company. Let's do it. Yeah, it, it really... You see how toxic like, he is throughout how, the movie. How, like, he's only appears, like, at the beginning as upstanding as he is, be- is because that's what people want to see. Yeah, he's which... He's got his facade. Which and then... really fucking worries me, considering he was a teacher. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. And this is, I think, really the kind of thing, like, when I watched this, I, I noticed more what men are expected to portray to mixed company versus how white men can act behind closed doors. Yeah, it's a lot of that. It's it's really unsettling. And it's it's even more unsettling if you think of it as Jack interacting with hallucinations. Because this is him just literally spelling out for us what kind of man he is. Yeah, how he thinks. If they're all hallucinations, then they're just his own brain giving him permission to kill his family and say the n-word and kill black people and whatever yeah it's just it's lurking shadows it's unsettling so like where walter white is evil because of how he treats other people and how they are so disposable to him he doesn't ever use a slur he doesn't um and that might just be because he's, he's on television yeah but um but I no, would. But I mean, Hank is immediately more racist. Yeah, Walter's never really shown as being a racist. racist. Um, no, he kills all people of all colors. Great, good for him. <laughs> uh, he's like the fucking United Shades of fucking Benetton when it comes to murder. <laughs> um, but I would argue that like the deep insights that we get into just how toxic Jack Torrance's mindset is puts yeah. him at a four point five. I would. I, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I'm really tempted to give him a five. Maybe. I'm really tempted. And 
it's more so because of a combination of the score he got and what you can discern from just the source material. He's he's not a good person. He's not a good person. And he's, yeah, I think what really grosses me out is that he's not a good person and he, like, fairly successfully convinces outsiders that he is a decent person. He convinces his family through gaslighting and abuse that he's a halfway decent person. Well, I mean, yeah, but... Yeah. Not but as I successfully mean, as he thinks he does. No. But, but I, I mean, mean, like, his family is a five-year-old child who yeah. doesn't know any better at all. Um, and uh, his wife, who he possibly has been with since high school. Yeah. They don't really get into it, but if he's if we're using that from the book, um, who he's been gaslighting and abusing for such a long time that she is all confused. She says at one point that she's so confused and she needs to, like, have a minute to herself. This is on the stairs. And I think that says a lot to her about her is mm-hmm. that he so easily can just turn her around because he's got such like a handle on her yeah. because of all the time they've had together. Um, but no, it's it's grosser I think how he can convince like Ullman and people around the hotel that he's just like this normal, just a normal guy, good dude, who just like oh you know he just wants to look after the hotel and it's a good job for him because he's a writer and he needs some peace. Yeah, I think that is a five for me. Yeah, he's really... And if you use him as, like, a like a stand-in for, like... I mean, he's a whole bunch of specifically white men out there. Like, it's... Well, we're seeing it a lot now in the States, right? Yeah. Like, we saw the lawyer in New York City who felt very comfortable calling ice on a bunch of people speaking Spanish in Manhattan. And then he turns around and says, I'm so sorry. That's not the only video. There's other shit. Oh, I know. I know. But like, that's the, that's the tipping point, right? Yeah. So Jack Torrance to me is probably more relevant now than maybe he was in the 1980s. I think he was just as relevant in the 1980s. I don't think it's changed that much. People have just become a little bit more vocal about it. Probably. Now he's not so much like what people would be like, oh, such a bad man, an outlier. He's like, he's every day, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Five. Hell fucking five, man. He's terrible. I think, yeah, I think, I mean, really and truly, Jack, Jack Torrance is the kind of dude who the minute another white man were to make reference to perhaps disliking another race or being prejudiced against a certain group of people, he would find comfort in that. Oh, absolutely. He's like, hell yeah. Yeah. He would, he, he would at no point be like, oh, I'm not cool, man. Like, doesn't matter. He jumped on board with the N-word. He calls Wendy a sperm bank at one point. Yeah. He's dehumanizing. He doesn't like women. He doesn't like black people. He, I mean, we don't really get to learn much else about him. But I mean, those are two pretty good indicators to me that he probably doesn't have a whole lot of empathy for other people no, either. No, I think he thinks all, like, no. It's all about him. He's yeah. Very, he's very self-centered. Yeah. Five. Five. Wow. Wow. I really didn't think we were going to have I a didn't vibe that wasn't like a like a like a Darth Vader type. I going into this, I didn't think that we were going to think that he was worse than Walter White. Me neither. I genuinely thought that I was going to be like, "You know what? I hate Walter White more." So he's definitely yeah. he's definitely not as bad as him. Yeah, cuz we're, you know, all the time we're like, "Oh, my man Jack." Like, yeah. But no, he's he's a bad fucking man. Yeah, he is a uh, 
bad man. He's a bad dad. He's a bad husband. He's clearly a bad fucking teacher. Not a great writer either, might I throw that one out there? Yeah, it's very repetitive what he writes. Mm. Lots of typos, too, Lots considering typos. he's writing the same thing over and yeah, over. Yeah, you'd think he'd just, like, muscle memory it after a certain point. No, apparently not. And it doesn't take him long at all. Like, I think I sort of, the first couple times I watched the movie, I was just like, clearly they've been in, like, I disregarded the fact that they're like, oh, now it's Tuesday. Like, they got here, now it's Tuesday. Like, of the same week. Mm-hmm. Um, and already he's being crazy. I think the first couple times I watched it, I like, the snow's flying. I'm like, oh, clearly they've been there for, like, a couple of months, and he's going crazy. But, like... You're led to believe that it takes, like, a couple weeks, maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe two weeks for him to try to kill his family. It's it's not a long period of it's time. Um, because they don't get there until... The end of September. The end of... I thought it was the end of October. No, I'm pretty sure the overlook closes September 30th. I thought it closed October 30th. Fuck, we don't have any fucking facts. Jesus. We just watched this movie. I we know. don't know anything. Hang on, maybe I wrote it down. You didn't. Um, one thing while I'm looking, I would like to have, we always do a shout out. Uh, I want to make a shout out to Dick Halloran's tasteful nudes. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. In his, his house in Miami? Yeah. That's, there's some, there, it's the only pictures on his walls, which is a little weird, but. I mean, it's not. He lives by himself. That's but like, true. That's more pictures some, than I've ever put up. Those are some tasteful fucking nudes. Um, no, I don't have it. So. I, it's closed for half of the year. I know that. It's closed for six months. They're supposed to, Or five months. They're supposed to be there for five months. Then maybe it is October. I think it's October. I'm like, my gut is telling me October. But it closes October 30th. And then they're there for November. Because there's a 31st. Yeah, but it would make... It makes sense with the weather. Maybe I'm thinking of the book. Maybe. I don't the know. The book it closes. The book, I know for sure it closes September. Yeah, are there any additional things we want to throw out there? Like... Any sort of additional things we didn't touch on? Uh, anything else that you think either adds to his bad dadness or just like other maybe extra interpretations to what we've already got established? I don't know. I think we've got most of it. Yeah, we got most of it. You there, got all the notes there. I have notes. I have notes fucking all, all the time. There are certain things that I just want to uh, kind of bring up. They're not commandments, but they do kind of uh, enforce Jack as not a great dad. Right. So it's it's the first, it's one of the first days of the week. And we see Wendy watching television in the kitchen and she is making dinner for her family. She set three spaces in the kitchen for them to eat together in front of the television. We never see Jack play with his family we don't see him eat with his family. The only time that we see him with his family is he's being miserable. Yeah. Um, yeah, you see him with his family, really, when they're driving to the Overlook. Mm-hmm. For the very beginning. No, not even when they're getting a tour around the Overlook. It's not the whole family. Because nope. Danny's off wandering. With Dick. No, Danny's off by himself. Oh, right. Outside. And then um, he shows up in the bar. Mm-hmm. And then... Wendy and Danny immediately go to the kitchen with Dick. Mm-hmm. And so you see him, like, for a second. And then you see um, Jack comes back to the kitchen. And you see him, Wendy, and Danny together 
when Dick asks if he can give Danny ice cream, and then Wendy and Jack go to the boiler room. Yeah. It's like seconds. Yeah, Jack is not... And then he's trying to kill them, and that's the next time you see them together, really. And you don't even then, because he's chasing Danny and Wendy separately. Uh, The only other time that we see them all together in the room, I'm pretty sure, is when Danny comes in with the bruise on his neck, and Wendy accuses Jack of hurting Danny. Yeah, I think so. Uh, But it's interesting to see that juxtaposed with Danny and Wendy's relationship, because Danny and Wendy, um, like, she takes him out to the maze, and they do the maze together, and we hear from Steve Ullman at the beginning that the maze can take... Stu, yeah. Uh, that the maze can take, like, hours. Yeah, he was like, I wouldn't go into the maze unless I had an hour to spare or two hours to spare or something. Something like yeah. that. It's, like, it's implied they're spending, like, an afternoon together. Yeah. Wendy's there, uh, and she's the one that calls the doctor when Danny has his first episode at home before they even get to the Overlook. There's an established caring relationship there. Yeah, they're shown the first time you see them, I think they're having, they're talking about whether they want to move to the hotel or not. And they're, Danny's eating, and I feel like it's lunchtime. Yeah. And Wendy's, like, Wendy's smoking, but I think she's got, like, a plate in front of her, too, and they're watching TV. There's a couple times that they're watching TV together, and at least two times that they're seen with a meal together, mm-hmm. but not with Jack. It just, it, it speaks to me, right? Because, like, every time we see like a family sitting down for a meal together it's supposed to show that they're like close or like a lot of times in media like and in culture anyway eating together is supposed to be a way of building a relationship and strengthening a bond and we never see that the only time we actually see jack eat is when he's eating breakfast in bed by himself yeah wendy's already eating it's like 11 30 or something she comes to wake him up and he's He's annoyed she woke him up. Yeah. But also annoyed that she didn't wake him up sooner, I think. Yeah, like, there's no winning in this situation. Um, So I just, I think that stood out to me for whatever reason this time, because I was just like, he spends no time with Danny, and goes so far as to put his job as the caretaker over Danny's health. Because after the second episode that happens in the hotel and Wendy says we need to take the snowcat to take Danny to a doctor it's in the middle of a storm Jack says do you have any sense of importance for my job like I can't people are depending on me to do my job I can't just leave my job and to me I was just like your kid could be dying yeah, he's like you're always trying to ruin my life and like you think you're more important than my job or whatever. It's like, this is your child. This is your family who might be dying, definitely needs some help. Yeah. He's gone. He's he's not talking at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, it like probably... you can leave the fucking hotel for like a day, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things that Wendy says we need to take him to a doctor. But when she said it, I got the immediate impression that Jack has never been involved when it comes to Danny's health. No. We need to take him to a doctor is Wendy's way of saying, I need to take him to a doctor. Yes. Because I'm convinced that this is a conversation that they have had before, and that's why Jack snaps so hard. It just, the whole thing, it it kind of fits in with the abusing of your kids, but it's more so that he's just, he has no interest in Danny, apart from manipulating him to try and find out what Wendy is saying about him behind his back. I think it's really telling, like, he, he thinks, he refers to Wendy as a sperm bank, and that's essentially how he treats his family, is he 
clearly at some point has sex with Wendy. Not mm-hmm. in the movie, but... And he's done. Like, that's yeah. a sperm bank. Gives his sperm. She has a kid. That's her problem. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with him. Yeah. And that's... Uh, and there's like gross. Yeah, there's no there's no affection between the two of them either. You no. never see them hold hands, you never see them hug, you never see you don't even really see them in bed together. No, ever. just she brings him breakfast and he like kind of sits up and like tries he's eating eggs like leaning on his elbow like who the fuck are you? Sit up like a normal person. Um, and she sits on the bed and they have a little chat like she's like, "Oh, do you want to take me for a walk around the grounds?" And he's like, "Well, I should do some writing first." And it's like God. Yeah, he he has no interest in this family. No, they are. I don't even know if they really touch. They don't. Aside, if she she cuts him. She cuts him. She touches him um, when he has like his night terror and he's like screaming and sleeping on his like desk mm-hmm. and he falls out of the chair and he bites her head off for that. Too. Yeah, and she comes over and like tries to help him back up and then he freaks out on her. Uh, and the only other time that I can think of her touching him is when she's dragging his body into the storage room. Yeah, that's my other- girl. Other than that, she... There's, there's no affectionate touching between them. There's no affection... Period. Full stop. Period, yeah. And she does try a little bit, but, like, I think she tries because she's scared. And... She has a role to fulfill. And I think, instead of, like, when Walter White was displaying that kind of behavior and Junior kind of sees it as okay or, like, as normal, Danny has the emotional intelligence here to realize that that's not okay. Yeah, I think... Danny's very sensitive. I mean, he's got some shine, some don't. Um, but he sees that... I mean, he's got such a close relationship with his mother, which I don't think Walt Jr. has as much. Yeah. Is he sees that his mother is frightened. Yeah. And he's like, well, this isn't cool. I don't like... I don't like being scared. I'm sure mom doesn't like being scared. Yeah. Because he's such a good boy. He is. Honestly, like, Danny Torrance in this in this movie, probably one of the kindest characters out of any Kubrick film. He is, yeah. he is probably one of the most emotionally mature and one of the kindest, sweetest yeah. characters out of any There's Kubrick movie. There's not a movie. lot of nice people in Kubrick movies. What do you mean? Uh, Alex is very kind. Not <laughs> true. No. At all. No, I'm trying to actually genuinely, like, there's some kind people in Spartacus. There are some kind people in Full Metal Jacket. Uh, kind of, maybe. I mean, that's a lot of, like, hatred. Yeah, there's a lot of racism in that. Is. But <laughs> for my other favorite Kubrick movie, not great, Bob. Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Danny Torrance deserves like a fucking medal of honor. <laughs> Honestly, like he's just, there's, I don't say, like I say this usually for like really, truly problematic characters, but like Danny Torrance did nothing wrong. No, he's just a good boy. And that I think also just kind of shows how shit jack is yeah protect danny torrance at all costs yeah i mean he's even he's even kind to dick like not just by being nice but he asks him like mr halloran are you scared of this place like he shows genuine empathy for other people and this is a stranger yeah well and i mean it's a stranger who talked to him with his mind yeah (laughs) which i I would be i think that would be scary i mean he's five though and so he sees somebody who can do something he can do and maybe that's not scary i'd be terrified if like i was walking down the street and scatman crothers showed up and was just like oh would you like ice cream with his mind i'd be like oh fuck there's a lot to unpack here (laughs) yes i would love an ice cream i would love ice cream but like so tldr jack torrance evil evil danny torrance a perfect angel baby 
baby boy. <laughs> Wendy Torrance? Protect at all costs. Yeah, she's an angel. She deserves much better. Uh, okay. Yeah. This is, was longer than we were hoping it would much be. Much <laughs> longer. Uh, so, seven out of nine. Bad dad. Not sexy. Evil. Super evil. Yeah. We gotta pick a sexy dad at some point. Uh, that's gonna be hard. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should. Somebody who's higher than a one on the sexy Oh my god, this is the longest episode we have ever fucking recorded. We had a lot to say. There's some big pauses, too. Alright. Um, yeah. So... That's it. This has been the Bad Dad Club. I'm Ariana. I'm Jess. We'll see you later. Bye.